Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. According to a figure cited by Publishers Clearinghouse, 96 million Americans read daily horoscopes. 96 million. Ah, there's the rub. That is one of the problems with democracy. Is when you have people who do that deciding who rules and governs the nation and what the laws of the nation will be. America's two-party system. I've commented on it before, the evil party versus the stupid party. As they are commonly known inside the Beltway, meaning within the Washington, D.C. area. This past presidential election, various commentators opined that it was perhaps a choice of the lesser of two evils as far as how various people in the electorate saw it. But as far as I was concerned, it was nothing of the case. It was the choice between the evil party, the evil candidate, exceedingly evil candidate of the evil party versus the fatally flawed candidate of the stupid party being supported ever so enthusiastically by those who have been trampled upon for decades by the stupid party, not just the evil party, but by the stupid party. And misrepresented horribly by the stupid party. But an age-old question, not back to antiquity, but for the past century and then some, couple centuries, is a matter of access or influence. Or you might say charm offensive or speak the truth to power. Within Christian circles, which of course should be excluding the purported 96 million that read daily horoscopes, but within Christian circles here in this nation, it's put a little bit differently. And that is whether to offensively, rudely impose upon the lost by witnessing to them, or instead just to shine before them and glow and and uh, show them what a good person you are. Now, 
This will come as a shock to some. But Billy Graham, world-famed evangelist, who passed away such a short time ago, at the age of 90 or so, it was at least 90, he had a long run. He had a good run. He enjoyed enormous worldly success. I know that will sound very strange because with being the most famed evangelist on the face of the world, you wouldn't think it would be worldly success, but he did. He enjoyed enormous worldly success. And he owed that in considerable part to an ungodly man who launched him to fame and fortune, uh, namely William Randolph Hearst, who ordered his papers to puff Graham, to build him up, to promote him, which they did very successfully. Now, Billy Graham, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Billy Graham wasn't a good man, a godly man. But this matter of the distinction between causing offense to multitudes by witnessing against sin, against evil, as compared to glowing and shining before them, that dichotomy was evidenced throughout the ministry of Billy Graham. I know, I know so many people view him as preaching righteousness, preaching against sin. But in point of fact, what was communicated to such a great extent was come, come as you are. Just come to God, come to the Lord. Billy Graham, for decades and decades and decades, refused to confront and oppose enormous, monstrous evils in this world, whether those evils were communism, socialism, fascism, dictatorship of this brand, that brand, the other, or whether it was induced abortion, And so forth. Now, in his very latest years, he finally spoke regarding induced abortion. It took him decades and decades and decades to get there. But his attitude, as expressed, was always he did not want to give any cause of stumbling to people to keep them from coming to God. That was his rationale. He did not want to cause any impediment to prevent them from coming to God. Billy Graham had the ear, not the minds, not the souls, but the ear of every president throughout his adult lifetime. And he steadfastly refused 
to speak truth to power and instead was able thereby to enjoy access and to try to win them over by a charm offensive. I don't mean that he didn't mean well. I absolutely positively am convinced Billy Graham always meant well as far as how he engaged in these things. But whether he was preaching in Eastern Europe during the communist control decades or whether it was here at home in the U.S. or wherever else he was in the world, and he went everywhere, or virtually everywhere, he again focused focused on communicating that people should come to the Lord, just as they were. Just come to the Lord. And it's not that he never mentioned sin, he did. And Christ on the cross and Christ crucified, Christ risen, was prominent throughout his ministry. In his latter years, he and Ruth, and I'm wrapping up now with regard to Billy Graham, he and Ruth visited North Korea at the invitation of the monstrous, vicious, ruthless, satanic, sadistic, murderer father of Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il. And they took the VIP tour. In Pyongyang, they went to the showcase churches. There was a Catholic one, there was a Protestant one. Those two church facilities are there specifically to deceive the outside world regarding circumstances in North Korea. And the Grahams noted the people, the congregations at these two churches, and they came home to the U.S. of A., and they told the world that there was religious freedom in North Korea. Billy and Ruth were near the end of their pilgrimage on earth at that time. Billy would still hang on for some time. But despite all of the years they'd known the Lord and all of the years they had served the Lord and all of their accumulated wisdom, they allowed themselves to be used as dupes, as puppets, as mouthpieces for this monstrously vicious, satanic, anti-Christ regime and to communicate a lie worldwide. Should they have known better? Yes, they should have. They should have known better. They shouldn't have needed to see that it was the same congregation at both churches in order to recognize the lie. I would go so far as to say they shouldn't have gone there. 
But in any case, they allowed themselves to be used. Unintentionally, unwittingly, but to be used by the evil. Well, there are various different people who are proclaiming, have proclaimed, and continue to proclaim that Donald Trump is dangerous. He represents a national security threat to the United States of America because he gives every indication that he can be used, not bought. I don't think, I don't think most of them are saying that. But certainly that he can be duped and he can be used. And certainly he can. If Billy and Ruth Graham could be, certainly dear old Donald can be and has been. Used by the evil. But the choice during the general election was between... forces of evil based on their track record over the past many decades and a candidate who was devoid of the fear of God and therefore devoid of even the smallest semblance or modicum of godly wisdom, of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And despite whatever he has said during the campaign back then and during his time in office, still the same man, and he still is devoid of the fear of God. And he still is a man that is full of himself, vain, conceited, arrogant, and with various peccadillos and so on and so forth. He's forever protesting about how smart he is, insisting, contrary to criticism, that he is so smart. And he invariably sounds so unconvincing when he's trying to persuade that he's so smart. But he's come under some criticism here now, this week, because of a congratulatory phone call that he made to Vladimir Putin to congratulate Vladimir Putin, the de facto dictator, murderous dictator over the Russian Federation, to congratulate him on his most recent reelection on Sunday. And those who have attempted to monitor the elections insist that this election was not free and was not fair. But that has been the observation on every election that he's been involved with. No surprise there. Without getting into it too much about the various details, the president made this phone call from the White House residence 
rather than the offices, rather than the Oval Office, so forth. And contrary to his, dare I say, handlers, extremely strong recommendations that he not congratulate Putin. That's exactly what he did. Well, I'll get into that in a minute with regard to the rationale that he has given. But first, with regard to this matter of rejecting the directions of his handlers, call them what you will, you know, inner circle, these people who are assisting him, supporting him, enabling him. And this is true with regard to those around any president, any major leader, so on and so forth. But I'm calling them handlers because there is an extremely important element of what they do that is akin to that. They are advisors. And in my view, any presidential advisor's first and foremost loyalty must be to God, and their first and foremost responsibility is to provide godly counsel. However, we never have presidents that want that. Going back to George W. Bush, he insisted on loyalty. All of those around him had to be absolutely steadfastly loyal to him. But not loyal to God, not loyal to the nation, but loyal to him. And the problem with that is that all of we people are flawed and imperfect and lack perfect wisdom and knowledge and what have you. And to insist on surrounding ourselves with people who will only tell us what we want to hear, which was absolutely inherent in the definition of loyalty for the Bush White House, is just monstrously unwise. But George W. Bush, of course, famously insisted on never reconsidering a decision, never looking back. Always looking forward. Unbelievable. If that's not a prescription for disaster, what is? If we are ignorant of the past, if we are ignorant of history, then we are doomed to repeat it. So some say. So it has been said. And there is a great deal of truth to that. But... Donald Trump, too, insists on loyalty, and it's loyalty to him. But you can have people who pass themselves off as being your dearest friends and who seemingly are absolutely enamored with you. And who either are incompetent, 
unwise and so forth, and again, we all are to some degree, or they're lying to so-and-so's teeth. And yet they are trusted, confided in, so forth, because they are supposedly loyal. Well, the handlers for our president, in giving him his information, his directions that he would use with regard to making any call to President Vladimir Putin, a dictator, they insisted in all caps, followed by exclamation mark, that he not congratulate him. And as you know, all caps in email communications or whatever is supposed to be tantamount to shouting. But anyway, he disregarded that. He's not going to be led. He's a proud man. He's not going to be led. He's not going to be handled. He's not going to be told what to do. He's going to do what he wants to do. Right? And that is his attitude very much, but it was George W.'s too. And that's without getting into the matter of uh, Barack Hussein, Obama, Bill Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton, and so forth. But it's standard operating procedure that leaders want to lead. They don't want to be led, handled, and so forth. And therefore, those who would handle them and direct them and so forth, if they are to be effective, they need to be subtle, conniving. The picture you should have is of, in my view, is Dr. Henry Kissinger, who manipulated Richard Milhouse Nixon on a dime, at a whim. Turned him any way he wanted to. Richard Milhouse Nixon was a smarter man than Donald Trump, in my view. A very intelligent fellow. And experienced in politics, in governance, and so forth. He also was a mainstream Republican. Not from the alt-right, yeah. <laughs> Not a conservative, mainstream. He allowed himself to essentially be bought by the Rockefeller family. To be bought and owned by the Rockefellers. Who placed their man, Dr. Henry Kissinger, at his right hand. Richard Milhouse Nixon, if you look at his presidency, what he did, what were the circumstances when he came to office, and what did he do? Instead of speaking truth to power, instead of opposing and confronting 
the vicious, ruthless, murderous Soviet regime or empire and the bloody, monstrous communist Chinese regime. He smoked the peace pipe with them, right? He clinked champagne glasses with them. He had detente with them, courtesy of Henry K., Dr. Strangelove Kissinger. He left our prisoners of war imprisoned over in Vietnam and thereabouts. He forsook the free democratic government of South Vietnam, forsook the South Vietnamese people who had fought so bravely and allowed them to be massacred by the ruthless, hateful, anti-God, anti-humane communists. By all means, he should have been loved and adored by the left here in the U.S. and around the world, but strangely enough, he never managed to curry their favor. They hated him, despised him, despite him furthering their agenda at every turn. Greatly strengthening the federal regime here in the U.S. and its control over we unwashing masses. Richard Milhouse Nixon was the leader of the stupid party. But he did the will of the evil party. Ronald Reagan instead spoke truth to power. It's not my favorite little saying. But just for sake of brevity, I'm using it. But he called the Soviet Union regime what it was, evil. And he opposed it and confronted it. Albeit, as far as I'm concerned, all too graciously and gentlemanly. And he, too, was hated and despised by the left here in the United States of America and around the world. The left who did everything they could to remove him from office. And meanwhile, he had a Trojan horse in his administration. No, it wasn't some low-level young buck or young woman. No, no, no. It was his vice president, George Herbert Walker Bush, former director of the Central Intelligence Agency, former ambassador to China, former this, former that, former U.S. senator, former presidential candidate, who, of course, ran against Ronald Reagan and lost and yet was promoted to vice president. And who, during the eight years that Ronald Reagan was president, did everything he could 
to stack the deck of the administration with his people to accomplish his agenda and to oppose that of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan should have chosen someone who was loyal to him. Loyal first and foremost to God, then loyal to him. But he did not. And it was very costly. Not just for him, but for this nation. And thus, for the world. So now we have Donald Trump. And he, like George W. Bush, imagines, and I do emphasize, imagines that he can charm anyone. He's so vain as to imagine he can charm anyone. Well, he's succeeded in charming any number of women over the years, and he imagines he can charm anyone. His modus operandi was never about being the most brilliant guy, even though he fancies himself that he is, just like Hillary Rodham Clinton fancies herself that she's the most brilliant woman on the planet. But it was the consummate deal-maker. Really, if you want to get right down to it, a riverboat gambler. Someone who was extremely adept at using other people's money, at charming, at schmoozing, at winning people over, persuading them to go along with his desired plans and purposes. And to this day, he imagines that he can do that going up against vicious, ruthless, murderous people who secretly despise him, despise this nation, and want to see this nation in ruins. Is that a threat to the national security of the United States of America? Yes. Is that more of a threat to the national security of the United States of America than having Hillary Rodham Clinton ensconced in power in the White House? Do you really imagine that? Her and her gang? Not hardly. But it is dangerous nonetheless. It has been reported that Donald Trump has been gloating about the purported coup of agreeing to meet with Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un. Gloating about that. Unbelievable idiocy. He's feeling very good about himself (laughs) with regard to that, amazingly enough. And he, like George W., believes in just going forward, focus forward, don't look back. Unless, of course, 
It's to try to make some comeback to some people that have said some insulting things about him. Well, he should take into account that one of his buddies here, Vladimir Putin, he doesn't just make some verbal comebacks. He has them assassinated. So that should perhaps give him pause. And on that note, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right, good, true about this program is not thanks to me, but thanks to God and Jesus Christ. And whatever's wrong about it and lacking and erring is thanks to me. (laughs) But Donald Trump... He does believe in trying to influence people, for sure. And he believes that he can. But he errs on the side of access. He believes that via access and flattery, he can charm them and he can schmooze them and he can become buddies with them. Interestingly enough, you know, he, he made an assessment of George W. Bush and Barack Obama and Bill Clinton via Twitter, you know, his uh, media of choice. And he said regarding them, George W. Bush lacked the smarts. Okay, so George W., He wasn't nearly as smart a guy as Donald Trump, according to Donald Trump. May or may not be true. And regarding Clinton and Obama, they didn't have the energy or chemistry to do what he's doing. To influence Russia. To do our bidding, if you will. They didn't have the energy or the chemistry. It almost sounds like something you might expect to see on one of these commercials or advertisements for a dating site. They didn't have the energy or chemistry, really. That's not what they were lacking. Okay, And Bush, whatever he was lacking in smarts, that wasn't his main... Dearth. That wasn't his main impoverishment, impoverishment. No. It had to do with fear of God, faith, humility, modesty, things like that. It had to do with vanity. Same fatal Achilles heel problem of the Donald and many others. But again, there were many, (laughs) many fatal flaws there. 
but unwillingness to consider that he may have made a mistake, unwillingness to hear what he didn't want to hear, unwillingness to consider what he didn't want to consider. These were all prominent faults of George W. Bush, who now is the most popular he's been since, I think, at the height of his popularity as president, interestingly enough. But Obama and Clinton, according to the Donald, didn't have the energy or chemistry. Huh. It wasn't that they were evil. It wasn't that they were anti-God, anti-people. It wasn't that they were power mongers. It wasn't that they were destroyers. It wasn't that they were habitual liars. who hungered and thirsted for power and to use that power to destroy. No, no, no. It was just that they lacked the energy or chemistry to do the job. Breathtaking. Well, of course, we have uh, Donald Trump's implied assessment of himself that he has the smarts and the energy, and the chemistry. But you notice, (laughs) there are some things lacking from that list. Like, again, fear of God, godly wisdom, faith, courage, knowledge, understanding, humility, modesty, a host of other things, character. But Donald Trump and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who are about as close to lookalikes as you can get, not speaking of their appearance, speaking about their qualifications. Jared Kushner, a much, much younger version, of course. And this is without referring to Donald Jr. and his brother and so on and so forth. But... Donald Trump communicated, again, via Twitter, his media of choice, which he imagines that he masters, that Vladimir Putin can be helpful in solving problems, specifically problems with the following, problems with North Korea, Syria, Ukraine, Islamic State, Iran, and the coming arms race. Now, what's wrong? (laughs) Obviously, clearly, what's wrong with that list? Well, among other things, he lumps together free Ukraine, which Putin has ferociously attacked. He's attempted repeatedly to assassinate free leaders, the political leaders, and other leaders in that nation. He's besieged it, shot down commercial airlines over it, aircraft over it, has ordered that, enabled that, empowered that. And he lumps, our president, lumps Ukraine together with the evil regimes of North Korea, Syria, and Iran, all 
of which are allies of Vladimir Putin's regime, and with the evil Islamists' so-called Islamic State. And this is evidence of how smart he is. There's a problem there. Meanwhile, Donald Trump imagines, again, that he can influence Vladimir Putin for good. He can charm him. He can schmooze him. He can accomplish this charm offensive, which George W. Bush so vainly imagined that he could do. And I imagine that he still imagines that he accomplished said feat. Meanwhile, Jared Kushner imagines that he can accomplish this with Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, whom he has divulged extremely high-security, sensitive information to, apparently, which has even led to the prince imprisoning hundreds of people in Saudi Arabia. But... Fatally flawed leadership here is what we have. But, again, the choice was Hillary Rodham Clinton and her gang of cutthroats, dare I say, and Donald Trump. And his glamour campaign. (laughs) Meanwhile, and this with regard to Kushner was prior to his highest level security clearance, which he never should have had being pulled, being removed from him. And his being prevented from having access to Donald Trump's presidential daily briefings that were really intended for the president and only his absolute highest level inner circle security people, national security people. But around the United States of America... This nation, which supposedly is enjoying such an economic boon right now, there are multiple major cities and lesser ones, and even whole states that are operating as so-called sanctuary cities and sanctuary states, as in giving sanctuary to the enemy. (laughs) 
way back in the day in antiquity in Israel, before Israel was divided into the kingdoms of Judah and Israel, or Judah and Benjamin and Israel, God instructed that there would be sanctuary cities. These sanctuary cities, the purpose of which was to provide a place for those who committed manslaughter to flee to. When I say manslaughter, I'm not talking about murder. And, of course, we've got all of these different gradations of murder now, you know, because we're so wise and wonderful and advanced and all that. So we have first degree, second degree, and so on and so forth, and likewise in manslaughter. But those who accidentally killed someone, who did something that resulted accidentally in the death of someone, they could flee to these sanctuary cities where they would not be slain by the slayer, by the avenger of blood. But only so long as they resided within those sanctuary cities. If they came out of them, boom, they would be slain. And I could give more details on that, but not going to, (laughs) in the sake of brevity here. These sanctuary, so-called sanctuary cities and states we have plaguing the United States of America are something very different. These are places where those of the left, exclusively of the left, of the evil party, are succeeding in rebelling against openly rebelling against the federal government and the Constitution. If this had taken place while Abraham Lincoln was president, he would have invaded them, literally would have invaded them. It was cause for so-called civil war, war between the states, every bit as much, if not more so, than the supposed causes of the previous war between the states, otherwise known as civil war. This is open defiance, absolute rebellion against the laws of the land and against the ultimate law of the land, which is the Constitution, which is actually the root problem of this nation, that the ultimate law of this land is the Constitution. But... The entire state of California, the biggest economy in this nation, I have variously heard it referred to as this size economy or that size economy, but the number that comes to mind is the seventh largest economy in the world, California. The entire state is a sanctuary state in utter rebellion against the United States of America. giving aid and abettance to millions and millions and millions and millions of illegal aliens 
undocumented workers, and so on and so forth. Surprise. The state, that state in particular, the nation in general, but that state, California in particular, is awash with multitudes of vicious murderers, courtesy of this, who are preying upon the people of California. California was always known here in going back to the 60s or whatever as a welfare state, but nothing to compare with the grand scale that there is now. But interestingly enough, if we just go back in time a little bit, just to reflect, when the forces of evil succeeded in finally securing a victory with the U.S. Supreme Court, legalizing the murder, the cold-blooded, premeditated, vicious slaughter of the only innocent members of society within the sanctity of their womb by unconstitutional search and seizure and destruction. Amazingly enough, all of the United States of America capitulated on a dime. Homogeneously, all law enforcement agencies, all government entities went to war against the people of faith, the people of conscience, who peacefully opposed this monstrous bloodletting, this monstrous slaughter for which this nation has been being punished now for low these many decades, and rightly so. But in addition to that, a great many in law enforcement also moonlighted by obtaining work with these abortion clinics, these induced abortion clinics. And dear old Hillary Rodham Clinton, that great champion of children and women, No one has more viciously prosecuted this war against pro-life people than Hillary. During her time in the White House with FOCA and FACE and RICO, bringing all of the power of the federal government to bear, throwing the book at these people with such a vengeance and hostility and hatred and animosity, just incredible wrath to destroy their lives, to impoverish them, bankrupt them, imprison them, make them felons for praying outside of abortion clinics, for sidewalk counseling. Unbelievable, but true if you care to Check back on these things, even though all of the major media completely prevented that from being seen by the public at large, as they insisted on preventing the public at large from seeing induced abortion for what it was. So, too, with the sodomite agenda's so-called same-sex marriage. Instantly, it has to be applied and it has to be enforced, and heaven help. 
the public servant who tries to abstain from being involved with carrying that out. When the evil forces lose a court case, they attack it. They regroup and they continue their long war to overthrow godliness and goodness until they eventually win, until they eventually win one case, and then they immediately declare total permanent victory. Meanwhile, when the godly win a court case, they imagine that the war is over. That's the way it is in this wonderful United States of America, sadly. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.